It's 6pm and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, July 26th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight, we'll follow along as a California resident searches for answers after contracting a severe case of monkeypox. Details ahead on the California report. We'll briefly cover local news and weather. Then, our Federal Reserve interpreters are back. Paul Emery and Gary Zimmerman make sense of all things numbers with the economic report. And the latest installment of Money Matters sees host Mark Cunaberti's adversarial take two on the subject of cryptocurrency. That's coming up in the next half hour. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Crews continue to make progress as they battle the Oak Fire burning in Mariposa near Yosemite National Park. The fire has burned more than 17,000 acres and is now 16% contained. Justin McComb is with CAL FIRE. We have all the engines reaching out and trying to touch every house available, make sure there's no hidden fires around decks and wood piles, etc. That's going to be the primary focus. The faster that we can reinforce the line to the south and the faster that we can cool down all the hot spots around the structures, the faster that we can get the residents back in. At least 21 homes have been destroyed and more than 2,000 structures are still threatened by the fire. The cause of the fire, which started last Friday, remains under investigation. In other news, the Port of Oakland says it has resumed normal operations after protests by truckers brought it to a standstill last week. The truck drivers are protesting over Assembly Bill 5, a recent state law that reclassifies some independent contractors as employees. Many truckers own their own vehicles and say they could lose flexibility and employment when the law takes effect in their industry. They want AB5 amended or clarified after a judge rejected an attempt to make their industry exempt. Port officials say it could take weeks to clear a backlog of goods at the port caused by the delay in shipping. The Port of Oakland is a key hub for California's agricultural exports, including almonds, dairy and wine. Across the Bay, San Francisco supervisors today are expected to urge U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services Javier Becerra to suspend plans to shut down Laguna Honda Hospital. It's the largest skilled nursing facility in California. KQED's Rachel Myro has more. Federal health regulators decertified Laguna Honda in April after state inspectors deemed the care substandard. But so far, four elderly patients have died after being relocated elsewhere. Dr. Derek Kerr worked at Laguna Honda for 20 years and now writes for the local West Side Observer. Just coming in and issuing fines and penalties wasn't working. He says the hospital has proven unable to care for many of its more than 600 patients, but Javier Becerra could modify the closure plan so it's less inhumane. It's having a very traumatic effect on innocent people, innocent patients and families. A number of advocacy groups are hosting a town hall in August. For The California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. The U.S. monkeypox outbreak is swiftly expanding. The CDC reports over 3,400 known cases concentrated mainly among men who have sex with men. And in these early days of its spread, people can spend days in search of the right diagnosis. KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier has the story. Two days after Kevin Kwong flew home to California from New York Pride, his hands were so itchy it woke him up. He initially thought it was eczema. Everything started rapidly getting worse. I started to get 
more spots on my face, more redness and started leaking fluid. The rash expanded to my elbows and my hands and sort of my ankles. An urgent care doctor didn't think it was monkeypox. Kwong's spots were clustered together and looked different from the monkeypox pictures the doctor had seen. Depending on where I was with my symptoms and who I was speaking to, I was getting different answers. During a virtual appointment, a nurse noticed the rash spreading toward his eyes and told him to go to the emergency room. There, doctors told him he may have monkeypox, but they were unprepared to handle a potential case. And so they were researching while I was in this room and back and forth on the phone with the CDC. I expected myself as a patient to be in the dark, but I didn't realize how little information was also given to providers and how unprepared they were as well. His lesions were swabbed, but the monkeypox test result wouldn't come back for at least a week. He spent 12 hours in the ER before being sent home. At this point, I'm just miserable. I have sores in the back of my throat, in my mouth, all over my body. He says the pain was inescapable. It feels like you stick your hand in water that's too hot, sort of that feeling, but you cannot take it out. And so it's constant. After a FaceTime call with a friend, he broke down crying after seeing himself on the screen. Your body is being taken over by this thing that you don't understand and you have nowhere to go. So it's both painful and, and terrifying. After days of appointments and very little sleep, Kwong decided to drive to the University of California San Francisco Hospital. There, he was given oxycodone for the pain and swabbed again for a monkeypox test. The next day, UCSF infectious disease specialist Dr. Peter Chin Hong contacted him. I thought, wow, this is really, really extensive uh, disease. Uh, I've seen other cases of monkeypox before, but they're very limited. I would say Kevin is probably in the top 5% of severity of diseases, and most people probably wouldn't get as severe as Kevin. Because the rash was close to Kevin Kwong's eyes, if left untreated, it could have caused him to go blind. Dr. Chin Hong says the case was so severe, the hospital okayed a prescription of T-pox. That's an antiviral that's been given special clearance by the FDA to treat monkeypox under certain circumstances. I was shocked by how fast Kevin uh, improved. So it was almost like he was on turbo rocket uh, on a way to recovery. Kwong thinks he likely contracted monkeypox from a guy he hooked up with during New York Pride. That man did test positive. Despite Kwong's quick turnaround on the antiviral, he still hasn't tested positive. Dr. Chin Hong says health workers may not have rubbed hard enough to get live cells. It's very difficult as a clinician to like really get a good sample in these kinds of lesions because the patient is often in pain and you don't like to see people suffer. But again, you're going to decrease the yield of the sample. Kwong now takes six antiviral pills a day and no longer needs pain medication. So my face was the first to heal, which I think helped me a lot just mindset wise to be able to recognize who I was in the mirror again. Throughout his ordeal, Kwong has been posting on social media to encourage people to get tested and get the vaccine if they're eligible. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Support for The California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, July 26. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Shortly after 4.30 today, a vegetation fire broke out in the area of Cable Road near Badger Hill between Pollock Pines and Camino in El Dorado County. Quickly dubbed the Cable Fire, within 10 minutes of its start, air attack reported multiple structures threatened. The blaze, initially devouring grass at a rapid rate of spread, began to slow as it encountered timber. By 5 p.m., AirTac reported the fire holding at about 10 acres. By 5.30, both flanks were lined with retardant and the rate of spread had slowed. UBINET reports evacuations and road closures are in effect. This area hasn't seen a wildfire since the massive King Fire scorched over 97,000 acres in 2014. The latest updates on the Cable Fire can be found at UBINET Fire News on Twitter. Smoke from the Oak Fire burning in Mariposa County near Yosemite will likely continue to make its way north across the Sierra foothills and mountains, because of which the Northern Sierra Air Quality Management District, as well as the Public Health Departments of Nevada, Plumas, and Sierra Counties, has issued a Joint Air Quality Health Advisory through August 1st. As reported in the Union of Grass Valley, quote, A rule of thumb about air quality, if you can see it and smell it, it's likely bad for you. The fire, which started Friday, has grown to roughly 18,000 acres with 26% containment. Almost 2,600 firefighters are working the wildfire, with crews prioritizing protection of nearby communities in central Mariposa County, southwest of Yosemite. More than 3,200 structures remain threatened by the flames. Turning our attention to local weather, despite today's temporary reprieve, hot weather continues throughout our listening area this week. Monsoon moisture keeps creeping northward with isolated thunderstorms possible in the valley and foothills today and across the Sierra for the rest of the week. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 64. Wednesday, sunny skies with a high near 92. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 9. Wednesday's air quality is good with a potential AQI of 48. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly cloudy with a widespread haze before 9 p.m. and a low around 54. Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 88. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 26. Wednesday's air quality is moderate with a potential AQI of 58. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 60. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 95. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 9. Wednesday's air quality is good with a potential AQI of 35. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Big decisions are expected out of the economic world later this week. Lucky for us, Paul Emery has econ expert Gary Zimmerman to decode Federal Reserve policymakers' next steps. GDP estimates, last year's inflation rate, and more, ahead on the latest edition of the Economic Report. This Economic Report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, 
Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. It's time for us to talk about the economy, and there'll be a lot of important economic news this week. Can you uh, kind of give us a preview about what some of these news items are going to be? Okay, Paul, let me start with three important, I think, economic news topics that we should be waiting for this week. And you know, depending on ha- what happens with the Fed, gross domestic product, um, inflation news, you know, the, this, these could be things that move financial markets, perceptions about the economy, and even future Fed policy actions. So on Wednesday, the 27th, the Federal Reserve policymakers will conclude their meeting and announce their monetary policy or interest rate decisions that will be important for their inflation and economic growth and full employment goals. Um, And then on Thursday, the 28th, the Bureau of Economic Analysis will release their first estimate of real or inflation-adjusted gross domestic product or GDP output for the economy. And that will tell us how fast the economy is either growing (laughs) or slowing. Um, And then on Friday, the 29th, the Bureau of Economic Analysis will release their first estimate of the personal consumption expenditure price index for June 2022. And that'll give us the overall inflation rate um, over the past year on that index. You know, in May, that index was rising at a 6.3% annual rate year over year, you know, far above the 2% Fed's inflation goal based on that index. So, you know, and it's, Expected to remain in that higher range in in June as well. Okay, now I'm going to put you on the record here, Gary. Uh, Do you think (laughs) the economy is in a recession right now? Oh, thanks, Paul. Another softball question. (laughs) Okay, well, while some indicators are giving recession warnings, and that's something to be considering seriously, uh, you know, based, I think, on the overall indicators and especially the strength in the labor market so far this year, I would have to say, no, the economy is probably not in a recession. The labor markets are still quite strong, you know, although they can be a, you know, a lagging indicator here. So, you know, maybe next year, We'll see something different. But while there's certainly the risk of a recession has risen, you know, as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen indicated on interviews on Sunday, but, you know, looking at things like the labor markets, they're still adding jobs at a very rapid pace. For example, in the past three months, they averaged about 375,000 new jobs uh, each month were, were added to total payrolls. You know, I think that's you know, close to double the average monthly increase in jobs during most of the 2009 to 2020 expansion. Uh, One more question, Gary. Um, Let's talk about the Federal Reserve. What do you expect the Fed to do with interest rates at its meeting um, this week? That's an important question, Paul. And based on the comments earlier in the month from Fed Chair Jay Powell and other policymakers and their heightened concerns about inflation, behavior of recent economic indicators, I expect the policymakers from the Fed will announce another increase of three quarters of a percentage point or 75 basis points. Um, That will increase interest rates, uh, the overnight interest rate target that the Fed has to a nearly neutral two and a quarter, two and a half percent range, one that's no longer stimulating the economy's growth. Um, So, you know, that um, 
increase will also you know put some pressure on longer term interest rates as well so you know and as of last month the policymakers were expecting to move the target range up to the three and a quarter to three and a half percent range by the end of 2022 as they continue trying to slow the economy to bring down the high inflation rate towards their two percent goal over the next year or two so we shouldn't expect a sudden decline in inflation that's going to take some time and the Fed is in a very difficult position of trying to in, engineer what is called a soft landing, um, slowing growth, but not pushing the economy into a recession. And that's that's not an easy task. And, you know, as they do that, we should expect to see some, you know, some more short term interest rate increases in the months ahead as the Fed takes further actions to lower the inflation rate. Gary, thank you so much. Look forward to our next chat in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Federal Reserve and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. Mark Cunaberti has strong feelings about cryptocurrency. Up ahead, the Money Matters host explains why he won't be investing in tulip bulbs or Bitcoin anytime soon. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. In response to my newscast a few weeks back covering the recent cryptocurrency Bitcoin similar tokens and how they are kind of blowing up, a reader and listener reached out offering to better explain the workings of Bitcoin. My article and newscast detailed the bankruptcies and liquidity issues of a handful of Bitcoin exchanges. Specifically, the blowups included, but were not limited to the firms of Celsius, Voyager, and Three Arrows. The news was alight with stories of people losing their life savings or a portion thereof, and some firms halted withdrawals, closed down, or basically disappeared. Already, malfeasance seems to be rampant, as there are cases such as CEOs disappearing like Amir and Rais Kaji, the founders of Africrip have gone AWOL. They are not the only ones. The founder of a popular crypto exchange in Turkey has disappeared, with media reports indicating that he has fled the country with $2 billion and left 300,000 frustrated users. The physical whereabouts of another CEO, Zhu Su, and his partner Kyle Davies, who started Three Arrows in 2012, are also currently unknown as to their whereabouts. The detractors of my previous article may be right on one point. I don't fully understand the workies and wherewithal of crypto, but that was the point. I don't understand all of it, and I'm certain that most that play in the cybercoin universe don't. But I don't need to fully understand it, the cybercoin asset, to give the opinions expressed in my last newscast. What I do understand, however, and what the detractors of the newscast don't, is the technical and human price action and buying habits we have seen and continue to see in Bitcoin, like Cybercoin, resembles every other mania in history. Only in the case of Cybercoins, the action blows previous mania metrics all to hell. Simply put, the extreme volatile price movement absolutely prevent Bitcoin, at least right now, from becoming a valid procurement currency. Currencies must maintain their purchasing power. And when I say maintain, I don't mean always go up. This certainly is not maintaining stability. To better grasp that, think of an air traffic controller telling an airplane to maintain its altitude. 
Obviously, that doesn't mean go up or down. In essence, it means stay still. The same holds true for any potential currency. It must remain relatively price stable. And of course, Bitcoin is anything but price stable. When a tulip bulb in Holland skyrocketed in price to a high of 10 years annual salary in the 17th century, or property in Tokyo went as high as $139,000 a square foot in the 80s, I also didn't fully understand all the ins and outs of these asset markets, but I don't have to. I know a bubble when I see one, and they have occurred over and over in man's history and date back to Roman times and beyond. Back to my newscast reader who contacted me offering to educate me on Bitcoin, I politely said no. Like I said, I don't need to understand Bitcoin to draw historical and monetary conclusion for it, but perhaps my listener should bone up on the symptoms and signs and causes of an asset mania. If he did, he might find that perhaps many people that bought tulip bulbs in Holland way back when, or Japanese real estate in the 80s, or dot-com stocks in the 90s, or even real estate in the mid-2000s, fully understood those things, but they all lost their shirts when the mania collapsed in the end. No, my dear listener, I don't need a class on Bitcoin to know it looks an awful lot like the other manias that ended badly, complete with cons, thieves, and wiped out bank accounts. And now we see disappearing CEOs, collapsing firms, and frozen withdrawals. But to name a few of the early possible signs, it may be all coming to an unfortunate but familiar end. Like I said, I don't fully understand Bitcoin, and I doubt many do. But they will fully get it if their life savings evaporate one morning into the cyber universe, never to be seen again. And then, like the iconic movie Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Remember, however, no one can forecast markets or any cyber coin movements at any time. So take this all with the proverbial grain of salt. I'm watching the market so you don't have to. Remember, the newscast is not meant as investment advice and expresses my opinion only and is not the opinion of any bank, investment firm, nor this radio station, its staff members, or underwriters. I hold a degree in economics with honors from 1979, San Diego State University, and California Insurance License OL34249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Kuhnberg. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, July 26th. Head on over to our website at kvmr.org for the extended version of this week's economic report with Gary Zimmerman. Or listen wherever you get your podcasts. kvmr.org is also where you'll catch anything you may have missed in tonight's newscast. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and California Solar, local B Corp employee-owned solar co-op in Grass Valley. Working to balance profit and purpose. Specializing in residential and commercial solar systems, including battery backup systems. California Solar, cal-solar.coop. And Weiss Landscaping. With over 75 years of generational experience in landscape architecture design and installment, Weiss Landscaping crews are experienced and provide accountability on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. Go WeissLandscaping.com. Keep it tuned to your community radio station. At 6.30, a live episode of Embracing the Journey. 
Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Wednesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.